Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we just want to praise you this morning for it's in that name that there is salvation and we thank you for that. We pray that you just join with us this morning as we just express our love and celebrate uh, your presence, that you would join with us in a mighty way this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and respond to your Holy Spirit's work in us. We praise the name of your Son and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Though Advent is over, today we're going to focus on the promise of a reunion. Jesus Christ, who came as the promised Savior, Priest, and King, has also promised to return. And he's going to return in order to put all things under the Father, reconciling all of creation back to its original purpose, glorify God. So this morning we lit these candles to express our hope, a confident expectation that Jesus Christ will come again, amen, Amen. to bring into order all things. We as God's people rejoice in that hope and join with the saints before us, saying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let us then encourage one another with these words. And let us pray, Father, we yearn for that day. I pray for us to help us to see the reality of that promise. And as the saints of old look forward to the first, Lord, may we yearn and look forward to that second coming. Father, when you will return, as the angels said, to make all things new. Until then, our bodies, they groan with this presence of sin. They groan in frailty. But Lord, we hold on to that hope. And may we find that hope this morning. We pray this in your name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, writes that we need to be reminded at Christmas of the fact that the celebration of the Incarnation is inherently about the last days, the last times. As Christmas Eve arrives, he wrote this right before Christmas Eve, he says, let us remember one of the most famous and cherished Christmas hymns, Joy to the World. It was published first in 1719 and written by the great hymn writer Isaac Watts. But even as it is so often sung at Christmas time, and even as millions of Christians sing it as a Christmas carol, declaring the truth that the Lord has come to Bethlehem, that wasn't what the hymn was about when it was written. And it's not what its words were originally intended to convey. Isaac Watts' hymn, which begins with the famous words, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. That heaven and nature sing was written about the Lord's second coming, not about his incarnation, not about his birth in Bethlehem, but the second advent. I learned that this year. Well, here we come to the promises of Christmas. We're going to close out this week. The first week we saw the promise of a Savior who comes to rescue us from sin. We saw that week two, the promise of a priest to enable us to reconcile us to God. Week three, we saw the promise of a prophet to proclaim God's word. And then last week, we saw the promise of a king 
who bring justice and peace. In Jesus' first coming, He has delivered us from both the penalty of sin and the power of sin. The last enemy Scripture tells us to be delivered from is that of death and that of the presence of sin. That day did not come with the first advent, but will be accomplished at the second. You see, there's a promise that still needs to be fulfilled concerning promises of Christmas. And that's the promise of a reunion. There's one passage of Scripture that brings this to mind. It's not usually considered a verse about the second coming. It's more one considered a Christmas one. But it's found in Isaiah 7.14. This is not on your screen if you want to turn to it. You'll know it as soon as I begin to speak it. Many of you probably could fill in the blank of the words. But Isaiah 7.14, 500 years before Christ came, God gave a promise. He says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And help me out, fill this out. And she shall call His name Emmanuel. Do you know what the name Emmanuel means? God with us. Thank you. Yes, Emmanuel means God with us. See, God the Father fulfilled the promises of Scripture when He sent Jesus to deliver us from the curse. However, as we read in our Scripture, reading in Acts, is that 40 days after the resurrection, Christ ascended back into heaven. Which leads me to ask the question, how is God with us? How is He Emmanuel? Now, Christ's ascension does not mean that God has abandoned us. Scripture speaks volumes of how we are united with Christ, adopted by the Father, and now able to approach the throne room of God. I could spend a month of Sundays sharing with us, yes, God is with us. However, there will be a day when that Emmanuel will be face to face. What a glorious day that would be. Take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to turn to some scriptures today. I'm going to give you a workout. It's Revelation chapter 21, famous portion of scripture. And I want to read the first 11 verses here. It's a great verse of hope. It gives us a glimpse into the future, a reality that you and I should be expecting, that we'd have the confident expectation. Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 1. John, writing through the Holy Spirit, says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there mourning or crying or pain, for those former things are all passed away. Amen? They are gone. Look at verse 5. And He who was seated on the throne be said, I make all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy. They are true. You can bank on them. You can hold on to them. They're the anchor of the soul. That's, by the way, I'm adding now this point to Scripture, some of you might realize. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give them from the spring of water of life without payment. But verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. The first advent is a time of looking back for you and I, remembering the faithful people who were waiting for the salvation God has promised. If you were to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, for that's where we'll be spending the majority of our time this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, tells us something about those saints of old. And in it, you and I need to grasp this, for you and I should be like them. God is looking for some Simeons. He's looking for some Annas, those who are looking forward to the things of Christ. And today we should be looking forward also. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Peter writing says, Concerning this salvation that you and I have, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit in Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Scripture says it was revealed to them they were serving not themselves, but you, speaking of the readers of 1 Peter. Things that they have now been announced to you to those who have preached the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. For you and I, when we look at Advent, it's a past for us. But as one time, there was a people looking forward to that first Advent. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And so you and I now stand in history looking back at those people, but we should be like those first people as much as they look forward to the first Advent, the first coming, the birth of Christ. You and I also ought to be looking forward to the promise of a reunion. They were asking the question, who would be this person? When would he come and what would he be like? In Luke chapter 10, we see Simeon, the one I mentioned earlier that we should be like. It was given to him a promise that he would not see death until he would see the Messiah. And when Jesus came in as a baby, he came into the spirit and temple as when his parents brought the child Jesus to do for them the, according to the custom. It said that he took up the baby Jesus in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. So there was a time when people were asking, who would be the Messiah? When would he come? What would he be like? But through the testimony of Simeon, we see that that day has already arrived. At the birth of the incarnation, we see that the consolation of Israel has been finalized. The consolation of Israel means the encouragement and comfort of Israel. You and I today stand and we yearn for the consolation, I'll say, of creation. As the Bible tells us in Romans, that even the very creation, the earth, cry out for the reconciliation that it's going to have at that coming when all things will become new. That too desires to be relieved of the curse to be delivered. 
Simeon lived to see the first advent, the promises of God fulfilled, the promises that salvation would come to both Israel and Gentiles. But as you and I took a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to look at the next few verses there because it's important. As we say, well, how should you and I be looking forward to the second advent? We continue by turning our eyes forward to that second advent. You and I are to be looking forward to the return of Christ as Simeon and the prophets of old looked to the first advent. So I want to share with you some things from 1 Peter of what that second advent means to Christians. What does it mean that there's a promise of a reunion? What does it mean that there's a promise of Christ returning? You see, there will be another advent of Christ. He will come again. Many of us live our lives if He's not, but He will come. And this makes Advent a season of introspection. Peter gives us God's high standards as we contemplate our standing with Him. Because Christ came, He says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a time to ask ourselves three questions, and that's what I want to ask this morning as we look at the promise of a return. And the first question that you and I need to ask is am I clear-thinking and sober-minded? Or are my concerns mainly trivial? Look at 1 Peter, if you would, chapter 1. Look at verse 13 with me. Peter says, Therefore, because they looked forward to the things of Christ, and now we have experienced that salvation, you and I, therefore, should be preparing our minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here I think is a very strong condemnation of God's church today. Because I would say as I listen to many of the preaching, look at many of the blogs and talk to a lot of people, their mind is not sober-minded or clear thinking. Their concerns are mainly about the trivial things in life. In other words, the main thing isn't the main thing anymore. We've allowed ourselves to be scattered and divided into so many things and we've forgotten the things that are most important. Paul says you need to be preparing your minds. You need to recognize that as the time gets to where it's longer, you're going to become more distracted, you're going to become more frustrated or depressed, but that time has not yet arrived. Peter says, let it not be so. There's a warning in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and you see that this is prevalent in the church of God today. Where Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in kingdom to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Those are the things that you and I are to be involved in today. But now we seem to, to have everything about counseling and man solution and how to be the better you. The problem is, he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's where we find ourselves today, is that we're so distracted and so itching ear 
that were ready to follow anything and anyone. Like Pied Pipers were mice just following the sound of the flute. Peter is warning them, do not be so trivial-minded. I ask myself, how much time do we spend on things that do not matter? How many of us, the first thing we do is we open up Facebook in the morning before we even get out of bed and just see what's going on? How often are we Twittering and doing all those other things, getting involved in in all the things in the end that do not matter? And he says, these is what you should be doing. You should be preaching the word. You should be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We have churches across America that no longer listen to the word of God. Listening to Oprah and all the other ones is, is much more attractive. Because all I want is I want every day to be like Friday. I just want every day to be good. And there will be those that will tell you that all you have to do is plant a little seed and you can have everything that you want in life. They've made life just one big lottery. And we've forgotten the things that are important. But like the prophets of old, we ought to be yearning for Christ's return. So am I clear-thinking and sober-minded Or are your concerns mainly those things that are trivial? The things that will not matter in the end. Number two, a question to ask yourself is, am I an obedient child of the Father? Or am I still shaped by the passions that drove me before? We look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And I would have to say there's many who profess Christ and we're still caught up in the things of the world. The things of the world still entice us. We're still struggling with those very things. Loving them, desiring them. Garbage in, garbage out. Repetitive thing that we do. Watching TV and entertainment, leisuring ourselves to death. But we must remember the command in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, So whether you are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Speaking of Jesus, what's your aim in life? What are you shooting for? What are you looking for? If you're like most of the world, you're looking just to please yourself, to get the most out of life, to have as much enjoyable experiences and memories that you can. But again, he says, that does not matter. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good and evil. Let me ask you, if he was to pull us in today, would you be ready to meet him? Are you ready to give account for your time and your energies and your dreams and aspirations and your thoughts? Who do you seek to please in your life? For many of us, it's our bosses or our shareholders or maybe it's our employers. Maybe it's our family and our wives. Those are all things that we must do, but yet we put those things above the thing that matters the most. Spending our time spinning our wheels. Are you an obedient child of the Father? Are you a child of the Father? But are you an obedient one? Had a conversation once again with someone this week. They've got a family member that's just off, doesn't attend church, doesn't want anything to do with God, living their life, just enjoying themselves, just living and sowing their wild oats. 
But since they one day said a prayer when they were five years old, they think that makes them a Christian. Where is that in Scripture? Where does Scripture say, oh, just say a prayer when you're four or five and get baptized and you're a Christian the rest of your life? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. That's not the words of Christ. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Come and follow me. He tells us to count the cost of discipleship. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, have you counted it? Is it worth it? What is important to you? Are you an obedient child of the Father? Or are you still shaped by the passions that drove you before and seeking to consume your passions and feel your desires? Thirdly, those that are seeking the promise of that reunion, we have to ask the question, is my hope set fully on the grace that you'll receive from Jesus at His second coming. And let me tell you, I am going to be a man who's going to need all of God's grace. Is your hope set fully on the grace that you'll receive from Jesus at His second coming? Or do you cringe at the thought of leaving behind the life you love? Paul says, if you call on Him as a father who judge impartially according to each one's deeds... He says to conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And I have to tell you, there's a part of me that struggles with this very thing, even more so now with my little land and around, my little grandson. Do you love this life so much that you would rather put off eternity? You know, I want Christ to come, but to be honest, if Christ came to me and said, Rob, I'm ready to come now, would I be ready? I don't know. Can I be honest? I love this life. There's nothing better than being a pastor and being a, being a grandpa. I've got relatives, brothers, Father-in-laws that do not know Christ who would not be ready to meet Him. Have I done all that I am? Have I prepared myself for that? No. Do I love this world? Yes and no. I'm ready to be delivered from the presence of sin. Anybody here with me? Are you tired of fighting sin? I am. But I still love this world a lot. I love my family. I love what I do. So really the issue comes, do I love Christ more? And that's where the challenge comes. What do you love more? Are you ready to give it all up? To be with Him? To be in perfect union, Emmanuel, God with us, face to face, spirit to spirit. I long for that day. But there's just parts of me that are still holding on. And that's a really difficult question I need to ask myself and deal with. See, there's some encouragement in Titus 2, where he says, The grace of God hath appeared to all men, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of our glory of our great God, who gave himself to redeem us, from all lawlessness and purify himself of people. I yearn for that. I want that so much. But to renounce 
ungodliness and worldly passions would be to deny sometimes the very thing that makes me happy or that I find some joy in. Let me tell you, to ask these questions, this is pretty deep stuff for the last day of the year. Wait a second, where's the nice, make me feel good type sermon? But before this end years and the new one begins, we need to ask these tough questions. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you looking forward as Simeon and Anna and Isaiah and Daniel? Are you looking for it? Are you praying for it? Are you actively looking for Him? If you're like me, you're probably saying yay and nay. There are times I am, and then there are times that I'm not. When things are bad, yeah, God, come. But when things are good, You know what I'm saying. But this type of attitude is only possible, is only made possible through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. He works through Scripture to make us look more like Christ. He comes in and He changes our hearts and our desires. This is not a work that you and I can accomplish on our own. If our regular personal devotions are not part of our lives, this would become a tailor-made time to begin so. We must remember that God has charged in Deuteronomy 11 to lay up these words, the words of the law, the words of God in our soul, and that He expects us to love Him with all that we have. And that this living water in our own hearts is the fountain from which we shower Christ on those close to us. For you're like me, I want to go to heaven, but I want to bring all my loved ones and my friends and those in my areas of influence with me. But that comes only through Christ and the Holy Spirit as we pour ourselves in the Word, as we're changing our hearts and desires. Because within me, this old body of sin is just putting two hands into this world and I'm hanging on to it with all my claws. And God has to change that heart and desire. I'm here to share with you today, if you don't know Christ today, then turn towards Him. Repent of dead works. See that this world will be destroyed. All things will be made new. Our time with God and His preparation of us is a necessary foundation for you and I to look with hope and rejoicing for that reunion. Without it, our Christmas activities will degenerate into hoopla. And that's what we have today. But however much we want a significant Christmas celebration, and that's what we're always looking for, right? The best Christmas ever. It's not the primary reason for our contemplation and self-examination today. You see, our deeper motivation this morning in the promise of a reunion is the strengthening of our ultimate hope in Jesus. I want you to leave this morning with a hope, a confident expectation, not a hope that's wishful thinking, but a hope of confident expectation that things will be better, that all things will be made new, that you can and will be delivered. For Scripture says, so that when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him, at shame in His coming. Please do not let shame be the most motivating factor 
but our hope in Him. May this time be a reflection of what our lives are. Gratitude for the promises that were fulfilled when God gave us the gift of His Son in anticipation of and preparation for Christ's coming again. And here we hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. In speaking to His disciples before the Lord's uh, Supper and before His death, He says, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you is the promise. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am also you may be. That's the confident hope and expectation that you and I are to hold on to this morning. So are you looking for that hope? Or are you still kind of holding on to this world? Is the trivial things of life still weighing you down? Or maybe you don't even realize it. You don't even know what the main thing in life is. You think the main thing of life is for you to be happy. But let me share with you, that's not true. Life isn't about you. It's about Him. and Why He created us. So that He may be the object of our worship and the supreme uh, uh, symbol of our admiration. Let me ask, who do you worship? Who do you admire? What are you looking forward to? I remember being young. I remember saying, Jesus, I want you to come, but don't come until I get married. And then don't come until the honeymoon. Don't come until I have children. Wait until they get out of school. Wait until they get married. Wait until they have, you know, we can put off Christ forever. Because life, we think, is about my happiness. We even date and get married, not for the happiness of someone else, but because of our happiness. And divorce and end it when we are no longer happy. We have things so backwards. So what does it mean for a Christian of the promise of reunion? That you and I need to be looking forward to it with all of our hope, with all of our soul and all of our might. We ought to be praying for it. We ought to be looking for it. We ought to be rejoicing in that. It ought to give us strength to endure the battles that you and I face. I've got to end it with this because this is so important. What does the promise of a union mean for those who are without Christ? For if you're with Christ, there is hope. But if you don't have Christ, there is no hope. For if you are without Christ today, the promise of reunion means that Christ will return. Not mild and meek as he did as his first, but in power and in majesty. Take your Bibles if you wouldn't turn to Revelation. I want to show you two passages. I thank you for staying with me. But in Revelation 19, this is important. You need to get this. For this is either yourself or maybe for a relative, a loved one, someone you care about. They need to understand this. So Christ is going to return not mild and meek, but in power and majesty. Look at Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. Again, this is John. Behold a white horse. The one setting on it is called faithful and true in righteousness. He judges and makes war. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Verse 14, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And just the image of a winepress. A winepress in those days as they would throw the grapes and things into like a big breast type thing and, and it would come down. And then a horse or people would, would run it and it would just sit there and it would crush the grapes and the juice would just flow out into a vat. Now read that verse with that imagery in mind. Jesus came crushed and humiliated in His first coming. In His second, He comes to crush and humiliate His enemies. And you're here today and say, wait a second, I don't have a problem with God, but you know what I'm going to say, right? God has a problem with us. He says, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. He says, you're rebellious children. You're objects of my wrath. You're children of your father, Satan. He says, you're following the prince and power of the air. He says, no, that's not me. I'm a good person. Let me share with you. That's humanity. All those born of the flesh fall under that curse. You and I have the only message of hope, of reconciliation. So it means Christ is going to return, not mild and meek, but in power and majesty. And the second thing you must understand, Christ will not come to seek and save the lost or to serve as He did the first time, but to judge. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, again, and Him who was seated on it, and from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Christ's reunion, Christ's second coming, is a great promise of hope, of a confident expectation for those that are of Christ. For those that are not Christians, for those that have not yet followed him, is a promise of death and judgment. However, God has promised salvation to all who will call upon the name of Christ. In Romans 10, 13, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of Christ shall be saved. Would you do so this morning? Luke informs us that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven which among men which we might be saved except the name of Jesus. You cannot be saved in your own works. You cannot be saved through the works of a church. You cannot be saved by osmosis or relational or generational. or heritage. The only way that you can be saved is through the name of Jesus Christ. You say, why are you giving me this? This is a pretty heavy message. 
or writing of this, Paul tells the Thessalonians that you and I are actually to encourage one another with these words. We're to spur each other to good works. We're to spur each other to be obedient. We're to spur and provoke each other to keep our eyes on the main thing. In the same way, then compelling the others, please come in, please come in, come and follow Christ. Would you do that this morning? Would you commit to this, this new year? This is how you would live, looking for that second coming. J.C. Rowell in his book, Looking Unto Jesus, writes that the true scriptural source of consolation, of encouragement and comfort, is in the face of all that troubles us, is to keep steadily before our eyes the second coming of Christ. How do you handle financial difficulties? The second coming. How do you handle health issues? The second coming. How do you handle relationship troubles? The second coming. It's our hope of all things being made new. He writes, we must grasp and realize the blessed fact that the rightful king of the world is returning soon and shall have his own again, that he shall put down that old usurper, the devil, and take away the curse from off the earth. We look forward to that day. We ought to be praying for that day. So until that time, let us cultivate, he writes, the habit of daily looking forward to the resurrection of the dead, the gathering together of the saints, the restitution of all things, the banishment of sorrow and sin, and the reestablishing of a new kingdom of which the rule shall be righteous and eternal. And God's people said, there head bowed. I'm going to ask you to take a moment and consider what I've, read, what I've said today. Are you here this morning as a Christian? If so, are you looking forward and praying and rejoicing that Christ is going to come again? Do you have the same passion, the same fervor as those prophets and men and women of old? Are you clear thinking and sober minded? Or is your mind concerned mainly with the things of this world and so trivial? Are you an obedient child or are you still shaped by your old passions? Do you have your hopes fully set on the grace that you'll receive? Or do you cringe at the thought of leaving behind the life you love? I pray this morning, if that's you, that you repent of that and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a new love for the reunion of Christ, for the return of Christ. May we yearn for it as Israel yearned for their salvation. And if you're here this morning, and if I were to ask you, do you know if you would die tonight, where would you spend eternity? You wouldn't know. If I were to ask you why, if you were to stand before heaven and Jesus asked you, why should I let you into heaven? And you would not know the answer. Would you come today and let us share with you how you to repent of dead works and turn and trust in the works of Christ? Please do not be left behind in that area. Please do not face judgment without Christ. There's only death and a hopelessness. Find the hope that's found in the promise of reunion. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, even in my own heart as I speak this, I know that my heart still does not yearn and desire your return as much as it should. So continue that work of sanctification in my heart and also among us. May we be a church that sees a bounce in their step, even in the midst of difficulties, because it's the reunion that we're looking forward to. We know that this life is temporary. And Lord, may that draw others to you. 
And may they see their need for you, bring them to you this morning. And Lord, I look forward to that grace. Lord, then you'll make all things new. Strengthen us this morning for that. Praise the name of your Son who makes it all possible. We pray. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.